Compelled has been our theme for the summer, and we've been going through uh, different uh, aspects of what we need to do as Christians and how we and how we can be compelled. And the goal for this one, this is an expi- uh, an inspiring topic because none of us want to be driven by uh, you know solely duty or uh, uh, just you know uh, begrudgingly or under a burden. We want to really be compelled. We want to be like, I have no choice. I'm excited. I'm joyful. I'm 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 doing something out of a great, pure, awesome, encouraging, uplifting motivation. And that's what this summer is really all about. And last week we talked about compelled to be humbled or to humble yourself. We talked about being inflated like a balloon. That was last Sunday on the podcast if you missed it. This Sunday is compelled to give. And the title I have today is Time, Money, and Generosity. So we're going to talk about what it really means to give. Next week we'll be compelled to Forgive. So we're going to keep moving down the path of what it means to be uh, uh, really a Christian and how we can be compelled by Christ's love. And that's an awesome, beautiful thing. Uh, we're going to read two scriptures back to back, so we're going to test our finger-flipping skills. Uh, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, whichever way you say it. Habakkuk 3, 17. Hop there first. Uh, and we'll be reading there first before we jump over to First Peter. So if you want to be ready for First Peter. Be ready for that, because that's going to be the next one. We'll be in Habakkuk 3. You know, in college, um, I had this roommate. Uh, when I had 10 roommates, actually. We had a big house at Virginia Tech. There were 12 of us. There were 10 rooms. And uh, I had one of those rooms. It was a big house, many rooms. And uh, so one of my roommates, it was funny, one time I sat down, and I, had, I think I had cooked a sort of fresh-baked personal pizza for myself. And I sat down to watch TV, and my my buddy of mine, his name's Zach Rice, still a disciple, still doing well. Zach, if you're listening, I love you. Doing great. Zach's a great guy. Zach sat down next to me, and he had his own plate of food. Well, he seemed more interested in my plate of food. Uh, but he, and he said, Drew, you know, do you want one of my chicken wings? And I said, oh, no thanks, man. I appreciate it, though. He goes, okay. Well, can I have a slice of your pizza? And I said, No. And he goes, what? I was going to give you my chicken wing. And I was like, but it was under false pretense. Like you only offered because you knew that you wanted something of mine. Like, I'm not, I am not. can't like guilt me into giving you pizza just because you were going to give me something of yours. Like that doesn't work like that. And he was like, no, I was going to give it. Why wouldn't you give it? And we got into this whole thing and this philosophical argument and it was awesome. But I, I remember thinking, even with giving, that's sometimes how we feel about giving, right? When someone helps you when someone gives you money sometimes sometimes you know okay they're giving me money maybe someday down the line they're going to want something and they're going to have some influential power over my life like what do they want from this and most of all most all giving is conditional in a lot of ways even even in the most pure-hearted of situations where someone gives you something down the line they're still thinking man i gave her something that one time she needs to be nice to me or this is what i deserve or how could she spit on that gift giving for us all the time tends to be conditional. And we're going to talk today about giving in two areas, both in our time, uh, but also giving uh, our money, giving financially. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom used to always say, Drew, be giving. Drew, be giving. Uh, it's kind of this just general sense of what does it mean to be giving? Well, we're going to talk about two of those huge ways this morning to give, to give money, but to also give our time 
And both those things can be very difficult for a lot of us. So we're going to talk about why both those things are difficult now. But guess what? They, they're not only difficult in this generation, but they've always been a stumbling block. And here in Habakkuk 3.17, one of the very best verses. It's an awesome verse. Please remember this one. It will save you in many times of trouble. Habakkuk 3.17. Once again, most books of the Bible, 3.16 is just a good scripture. You know, I don't know. I don't know why it turned out that way, but just assume most, you know, most passages, 316, you're going to be in a good place. Habakkuk 317 says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Hop over to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll fly there. If you don't know where it is, it's right before 2 Peter. 1 Peter 4. <laughs> it's kind of a funny one. 1 Peter 4, 7. We there? Amen? 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We're going to talk today about giving really three ways. Giving sacrificially, uh, giving joyfully, and giving uh, graciously. Giving's a difficult thing. Now in the Habakkuk scripture, you notice what's happening is he says there's no fig on the bud, there's no grapes on the vines, no olive crop, no, there's no food in the fields, there's no sheep. What's he saying? Oh, that's a big deal. Like, that's not, for, for them, they had currency back then, but this is like where they had, this is where they invested their money. This was their investment. This is a portfolio. And it's not going well. And so, as Habakkuk writes this verse here by the Holy Spirit, he's saying, listen, there's, there's actually nothing good going on. He's actually talking about what happens for us when we're in crisis. What happens for us when things are not going so well? And because Habakkuk talks about how we should respond when things are not well, by implicitly he talks about, well, how should we act when things are going well? So we can actually infer from that the latter. But Habakkuk says, listen, this is how we need to respond. We need to be joyful. How in the world can you be joyful in economic crisis, in starvation, when your investments have not gone through? Now, he's alluding to something in the Old Testament. It's the way, the way they gave. And we know this. A lot of us know this. But they gave in tithes. The tithe was 10%. But they also gave their first fruits. What's a first fruit? Well, it's all in the name. You actually, what a farmer would do is you, they would get most of their money for the year from just a few weeks of harvest. And now harvest takes two or three weeks. But what, what they would do is, what most of us do with giving, is we wait till the harvest is over. Then we see, how much can I give 
without having to sacrifice or change my lifestyle. And then we give that. We wait till the end. We give the last fruits. But the Old Testament calls us to give the first fruits. And so for a farmer, this was difficult. You got three weeks of harvest coming in. After the first few days, you don't actually know what's coming. You don't actually know how you're going to finish with the harvest. But you're called to give 10% of your first fruits before you actually... That's a, that's a tough calling. It doesn't seem like a logical uh, assessment or decision for giving. Like for a lot of us, we... We give the same way. And we actually get our money in the same way a lot of times too. We actually get our money kind of in one time per year. A lot of us are waiting on contracts to go through. A lot of us are waiting on gigs if you're a musician. A lot of people are waiting on a bonus of some kind. A lot of us, like we don't actually know what the rest of the year is going to look like financially, do we? For the most part. We don't know. But we, a lot of times we actually end up giving our last fruits to God. We wait until the harvest has been collected. Okay, the church wants some giving. How much can we give without actually having to change our lifestyle? How much can we give without actually having to sacrifice? And that's the first challenge this morning is to give sacrificially. How can we give without having to sacrifice? And that's how we can, how we can think. And that's an amazing thing from the Old Testament is to give always 10% and to give your, your first fruits. But how can we give that? Actually, Deuteronomy 26 is a good chapter to read if you're curious about this one. The people of God in Deuteronomy are challenged to give to two places. It's the same two places that we're challenged to give. One, give to the Levites. Levites are the people who work in the temple. Give to the ministry. First priority, give to the ministry. Second priority, give to the illegal alien. Basically the person, the refugee, the person who needs your help. So we're called to give to ministry and charity. We're called to give to the work of God, but also to those who need it, those who are hurting. That's what we, and as a church, Sunday, our giving on Sunday, today what we collected goes to ministry. Wednesdays goes to benevolence. Well, what's that? It's for the people who need it, the poor. And obviously you can give outside of that. Like we encourage people to give, you know, in all these types of different ways. But those are the areas where our money is supposed to go. Uh, and so this is an incredibly high calling for us. I don't know about you, but I read this and I'm, I'm challenged by that. I don't want to make a decision on what I'm giving before I know what I have. I want to give. And then I can, because you know what I can do is, and I, it's, this is my struggle growing up in the church, growing up with a, a family of parents that are great disciples, is I can kind of know how to work the system. Oh, we got this much. Well, we can give X amount. And guess what? I bet people will think we're pretty generous. And I'll feel pretty good about myself because we gave actually more than 10%. So we're because, but because everything panned out the way I planned, I'm going to look pretty good, but I don't have to actually change my heart. I don't have to actually sacrifice. But there's something about giving that's incredibly important. I mentioned it a lot, but Adam and uh, Adam, uh, Cain and Abel both gave to God a lot, but only one gave sacrificially. So sacrifice is a really big challenge for all of us. But it doesn't just happen with money. It happens with our time as well. Uh, this is a big one for us because we, can, we do the same thing with our time. We wait till our week kind of fills up with the things we want to do in our lifestyle and our behavior, places we want to go, things we want to buy, people we want to see. We fill it up and then we say, okay, what do I have left over for Jesus? I have a little bit of time Saturday night for Jesus. I have a little bit of time Tuesday morning for, for God. And in the same way, we can give our last fruits. We can give our leftovers to the Lord with our time. Uh, the, 
I want to encourage the church, as I've already mentioned, there's been a lot of ways where the church has done an incredible job serving and giving their time to people who've needed help moving, people who need to help build things, take apart beds, people who need to, people have jumped in and helped in so many awesome ways. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you, the question is not so much, uh, what have you not given? The question is, are you giving sacrificially? Do you have to, have you had to change your lifestyle based on what you've given? And time can be the big thing. And time's a big one. I left it broad for a reason. I could sit here and, or stand here. I could stand here and, and talk about, okay, discipling groups or, or, or getting lunch or playing board games where you turn into a monster and people kill you. Like, I could do that, right? But this is a, it's broad because for all of us, the question is, is how do we spend our time? And do we give that first 10%? Do we give our very best to God? I had a roommate in college, different roommate, uh, great guy, but he used to always say, man, I get up and I, I try to give the very, my morning to God because it's the best part of the day. That's my first fruits. The, my first fruits is that is the morning when I am sharp, I am ready. I, before I do anything else, I go to God and have a quiet time. And I was challenged by that. I was like, no, you can do it like after school. And even in Bible studies, sometimes with seekers, I can do this. Sadly, is I can say, yeah, just read when you have time, read when you're able don't, you know, get your homework done for sure and then read later. And it's like, what? I'm encouraging last fruits instead of first fruits. How do you feel about this sermon so far? You like it? <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I feel it too, okay? I feel like and this is a challenging call. It's a hard call. It'd be much easier just to do the latter and to keep giving our leftovers, right? But there's a challenge and there's a reason that there's a challenge, which we're going to see a little bit later, but the question is, how do you give your money? How do you give your time? Do you give it joyfully? That's the next question is, do you do it joyfully? A good way of knowing if you've really experienced the grace of God, ask yourself, look at how do you give? Do you do it with grumbling or complaining? In the Peter scripture in chapter four, verse seven, it's almost like he knew, right? He goes, be hospitable without complaining. Because he knew that that single brother is going to ask you again if he can stay with you, even though it's the third stint, it's been a few times, and he's not the nicest of guys in terms of his cleanliness. And so, you know, Peter knew, okay, be hospitable, but don't complain, because there's a real opportunity here. And obviously, we don't want to take advantage of people. But the challenge here in the Peter verse, which is awesome, is he says, be hospitable. Literally, the Greek there is be fond of guests. Be fond of guests. And to... uh, be hospitable, but don't complain. And then he says before that, right, love covers over a multitude of sins. And what Peter's trying to help the church here in Rome see, and uh, the church is going through a lot of persecution, and in the same way where Habakkuk is dealing with economic crisis and dealing with a lack of money, Peter's talking to a church that's dealing with an emotional crisis, a church that's dealing with a social crisis, and in a lot of places, a physical health crisis. They're being persecuted. They're being beaten. They're being killed. They're, they're losing friends. And what's the first thing we can tend to do when we're persecuted or we're challenged or, you know, people put us down or there's strains on relationships is we pull back. As Stephen already shared earlier, we pull back and Peter says, no, no, don't pull back. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, what does he mean? Love doesn't conceal sin can't like go sin and then think I'll just love somebody later be loving and it's going to conceal the sin it doesn't atone for sin same idea but love 
Make sin disappear. What does that mean? It means when you, if you go after love, notice how many other sins in your life start to disappear. If you pursue love, it'll make all those other sins start to go away. And how can we really love each other practically? Peter says, be hospitable. Be hospitable. Now you say, well, I don't know. I don't really have a home. I can have somebody over. Or you should see my house. It's not very clean. Or listen, once again, we're going to leave this kind of general. But I think the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart a way where you can be hospitable. You can do, we've done an amazing thing in the Oak Pros. It's been really awesome. We've done dinner by design every, every month, once a month. So we rotate and people host a dinner and people bring food. And these have been a blast. And you get to know different people and meet different people. And not everybody can host in their home. So they meet out or they bring food and they have a picnic and they make it work. But that's one of the, the things I look forward to most in our Yopro uh, ministry every month. It's awesome. We have this rotating list and you kind of see who am I with this month. And it's just a blast. It's so cool and it's different. It's just been a cool, uh, practical way to be hospitable with each other. Because that puts you in a place uh, where the Holy Spirit can work. And there's not a lot of times when maybe I, I get to really talk to, to Leah really one-on-one. But in Dinner by Design, there's an opportunity to do that. Yeah. It's not a lot of opportunities to be able to talk to, somebody, to certain people in the church in different ways. That's been an amazing thing. But a lot of it is, it's just really us being loving. We've had to set it up and make a Google spreadsheet to make sure it happens, but that's okay because it sets us up in a place to be able to be loving. And when you can be loving, you can, love can cover over a multitude of sins. You know, how do we spend our time? A lot of times with giving, we say, we love the, the widow with the, the widow's mite and the two pennies and she didn't give very much. And, you know, we say, it's okay. It doesn't matter how much you give. And, um, you know, I think Jesus would say it does matter how much you give. It does indeed matter how much you give because how much you give correlates to your heart. It's an indicator. Why in the world does Jesus tell the rich man to sell everything if it doesn't matter? Because there's a correlation. And for that man, for the rich man, there was a correlation there, a correlation of idolatry. It does matter. The point is not guilt. The point is, is it sacrificial? And being sacrificial and generous for all of us may look very different. That's okay. For you, I used to to lead a Bible discussion at a medical school at Virginia Tech School of Osteopathic Medicine. We had five students who were med students. And we used to have these awesome Bible talks in, um, where the cadavers were. So cool. And uh, had, the, had, a, had a Bible talk on death. It was so amazing. And, um, you know, like, you know, bodies are half, half eaten away. And it's really cool. And um, sorry, a little morbid there. We're going to come back. Uh, but the, for the med students, what it looked like to be sacrificial was very different than the undergrad, you know, uh, nutrition. Sorry. Nutrition uh, or history uh, grad, right? It looked very different. Like, I had a lot of free time as a freshman history major. But Trent, my buddy, right, med student, it looked different to be sacrificial. And the question was, what does it look like for you but to really go after it with all your heart? And it looks different, but I, let's not water it down, amen? But we got to also see and ask ourselves the question of both time and money, are we being sacrificial? Do you give joyfully? How do you give? Do you give with that thing in your heart of, oh, man, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Do we grumble? Do we complain out loud or just in our hearts? Because if we're, if we're complaining about it, it's an indicator that we're not, we're not giving joyfully. If we're not giving joyfully, something is amiss. Something is wrong. Something's going on in here that we need to take a good hard look at. We've got to take a good hard look at our hearts. And this is so challenging for me 
because certain things are easier for me. I'm easier on the time one. That's my, I'll, I'll give my time. I'll spend all day. I'll just serve. A lot of, there's a lot of people in the church who love to serve, and they're great at it. They serve like nonstop. They'll get up at 2 a.m. and go, go serve you. Uh, that one's easier for me. And that's a good thing. You know, what does the, the Peter passage say? It says God's given us spiritual gifts. Use those gifts. Don't pull back. Amen. If you have a gift to be able to give your time and to serve, amen. But maybe for you, like me, the money one's a little harder. Money for me is an instant, I don't like the word trigger, but it is kind of a trigger for me. Like, oh, if something costs money, then I I tend to get frustrated and, and down and discouraged and angry. And it's one of those weird things for me. Like, even if it's just a little bit of money, uh, I'm working on it, I'm growing, I'm trying to be at peace about it. But for me, that's when I, as I'm writing this, this sermon, that's what I want to take home, amen. That's what I want to change. I want to go after this first fruits thing with, with our giving. I want to take a good hard look at it because for too long, I'm just like, okay, we have the number and let's just give, let's just give, let's just give. And amen for that. But I think I've lost a little bit of my heart of or the, the joy in it. It's just kind of become a robotic thing. That's what I want to change and want to grow in. Amen. And I can take a hard look too at the time stuff. But for, for all of us, I'm sure one of these or both of these is an area where we're seeing, wow, am I giving joyfully? Am I giving sacrificially? And lastly, am I giving graciously? Am I giving graciously? You know, God is the source of all of this. There's an amazing, there's an amazing uh, aspect in the Habakkuk passage that's incredible. As if you didn't feel challenged enough already, right? Uh, the challenge in the Old Testament was to give a tithe, 10%. Uh, and it almost never stayed there, by the way. 10% is the starting point. Most in the New Testament go beyond 10%. The churches were encouraged to go beyond 10%. Side note, tithe, but also first fruits. But here's the thing. That's hard enough when there's a harvest. In Habakkuk, there's no harvest. There's nothing coming down the pipe. Nothing. There are no figs. There are no grapes. No olives. The fields are not producing food. No sheep. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How is he still joyful? Can you imagine? All your investments gone. Your money gone. Your economic hardship widespread. It could be be a national thing. It could be a personal thing. But can you imagine you in a situation like this being joyful? Us being joyful? Amidst economic depression? Can you imagine? Is it possible? Habakkuk seems to be this way. How in the world do you give your first fruits when there's still no harvest? When there's a famine, when there's starvation, when there's bankruptcy? You know, it's risky. It's risky to give your first fruits because you don't know what's coming back your way. You know, like my friend, like my buddy, there was no real risk in offering up the chicken wing. There was no real risk. Worst case, I say yes. If I say yes, he's got my slice of pizza. He's got me now. Uh, No real risk in that. Um, But giving your first fruits is risky. What if there's no harvest? What if I don't, what if I can't pay for my kid's school? What if I can't pay for the lifestyle that we think we deserve? What if I can't buy these things? What if I can't pay off my debts? And it can be a real struggle, but what if? And it's, it's a risky thing to do. But if we just left it there, church, if we just said, go home and be generous, it would be a tall order. It would be a call. It would be a high calling. 
I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily feel inspired by that. I feel like challenged, but inspired, maybe not. But what's awesome about Habakkuk is Habakkuk's not, he's writing really not fully understanding what we know, which is that Jesus is the ultimate example of giving. And we have him, whereas Habakkuk did not. Habakkuk talks about giving riskily, giving without knowing if you're going to get something coming back your way. You know, when you really cherish something, giving's not so hard. Um, spending money at Target is not so hard for my wife. It's not that, it's not difficult. Um, I said I wouldn't say it, but it just came out. You know, kind of, Got to be careful with those. Um, but spending money at Target's not. She loves it. She came back yesterday with some awesome things, and I like those things. But, you know, she loves Target. It's dangerous sometimes. I see, you know, we have this app on our phones that we did with the interns for fun where we can see each other's location at all times so I can make sure they're being productive. And um, <laughs> I, we kind of kept it up uh, for the most part. But I can see Jenny, and sometimes I'll, like, look during the day. Where's Jenny? And she'll be at Target, and I'm like, I better text her, you know. Hey, what are you doing? And, yeah, okay, buy anything? Um, but, no, she's pretty good. But for me, it's, like, it's sporting events. Like, I won't spend a, a nickel on anything. I'm, I'll be like Scrooge McDuck, another Scrooge McDuck reference. I'll be like, uh, you know, who's the bad guy in the... Um, uh, bah Humbug. What's his name again? Scrooge. So Scrooge and Scrooge McDuck. Makes sense now. So I'll be like, I'll be like the Ebenezer Scrooge. Sorry, we're losing it a little bit. I'll be like him, but a sporting event, like last year I went to a Lakers game with my friend Josh Lund, and I was like, 80 bucks is a, is a good price to pay. Like, yeah, let's spend the 80 bucks. But anything else, I'm like, 80 bucks, that's so much money. Are you kidding? No way. What a, what a waste of money. But if it's something you don't like, if your kid wants to, you know, wants to go to a baseball game and you don't like baseball, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I guess we could go. Or can you find somebody else to go with you? Or do you really want a hot dog? I don't know. They're kind of expensive. But if you love baseball, you're like, get two hot dogs. We're at the ball game. You got to get a hot dog and some peanuts and you got to have a blast. And it's the experience. And you got to sit on the third base line, of course, because you got to get close to the dugout. And this is what it's all about. And when you really cherish something, giving is easy. It's not, I don't know, the hot dog. No, get the hot dog. Get the Cracker Jacks. There's a prize in there. It's going to be awesome. When you don't really love something, it's difficult. And that's why we ask the question, is it difficult to give? Because if it's difficult to give, are you loving God? Do you cherish your relationship with God? Do you cherish your salvation? Do you love it? Is it easy to give? Because yes, that's the most important thing in the world to me. You know, Jesus cherished his relationship with God. How do we know? He only cries out like, like this. He cries out seven times on the cross, but he only really cries out once on the cross. He says seven things, but he cries out once. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had lived his whole life spending time with his apostles, his whole life with no money. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He doesn't die on the cross lamenting that he didn't have money or didn't have comforts or didn't have what he wanted. He dies on the cross saying, God, where'd you go? Jesus cherished his relationship with God and that allowed him to give freely. He could give everything. And the Son of Man gave everything. He often, they didn't have food. Read the Gospels. The apostles are constantly asking, where is the food going to be? Who's going to provide some food? And they blame the crowds. The crowds are asking if there's some food. I just want, I'm hungry, man. It's been days. He keeps healing people. Like the apostles, there's no food. Jesus often went without these comforts. 
And it's not because he had to or he's just obeying. He cherished his relationship with God, so giving was easy. You know, God gave his son because he cherished his relationship with you. God gave up his only son. Why? Why would God give up Jesus? Because he loves you that much. He cherishes you that much. How can God be such a great giver? Are you kidding? Giving up Jesus? He gave up. God is the first giver. And he gave Jesus. How? Because he cherishes his relationship with you that much. That's mind-blowing. It's incredible. You know, God gave. You know what's amazing about that gift as well? It's not just Jesus who, who's immaculate and perfect. But God gave Jesus before he would know how you would respond. God gave the first first fruits. God gave the first tithe, and it was way beyond 10%. Amen. God gave first. And he did not know how you would respond. There are people in this room that will walk away from God. They'll say, I don't want to. I don't care. God still gave Jesus for you. That's love. And we struggle every day. And we're going to struggle in this command because we're sinners and we need some help. But God still gave Jesus for us. Can I get an amen to that? That should encourage us. And then we should be excited about that. And we need to cherish that idea. Giving will become easy. Giving our time will become easy. You know, I don't know all the difficulties of, of parenting, but I'm sure it's quite a bit. But I imagine that once you cherish your relationship with God, some of those lines that are a little bit more blurred become a little bit more clear because it's all about you loving God. Those things will be okay in our marriages, in our friendships. Just imagine, just spend time cherishing this. I know for me, when I do this, it's so easy to give. If I say, give the 10%, give the 10%, give it, give it, give it just creates in me this moralism. I'm just trying to be this person. I'll be good enough and I can just assuage the guilt for a few months. But when we really love God and we cherish him, we'll be given all over the place. And you know what's beautiful about that? It has nothing to do with your circumstances. If you can cherish your relationship with God in economic hardship, you can do it in economic surplus. If you can love God when things are difficult, if you can give your first fruits, even when there is no tree, there is no uh, bud, there's no grape, there's no sheep, there's nothing coming down the investment portfolio. You can still give the first fruits. Amen. Nothing can ever touch you. Right. We cherish our salvation that much. Church, if God can give that freely, let us, let it be far from us that we actually shy away from this call. If God can give this freely, you go give this freely. If God can give without knowing how you will respond, we can give without knowing how each other will respond or how he will respond. We can give freely knowing that it's not really about getting it back coming our way, that Jesus was the first unconditional giver. And that's what's so beauty about love, isn't it? That it's unconditional. You don't have to give God a slice of pizza to be accepted or the chicken wing. You don't have to. It's not about that. It's about a relationship. It's about unconditional love. And it's about basking in that joy and letting it flow through us and fill us so that we can give our time and our money generously. Amen. Amen. Let's be free givers, church. To God be the glory.